morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, uh, just throw your hand up. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible for sure, get your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you. You're going to want to grab a copy of God's Word this morning. You're going to be going through a couple of different scriptures this morning. So grab your own Bible, grab one of these Bibles, open up your phone or whatever you got that uh, you have God's Word on and go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 27. As you're turning there, have you ever had anybody ever say to you, hey, you remind me of, and they say a person, and it could be a famous person or just someone you all know, and they say, you remind me of this person, and then sometimes it's not a good thing. You're like, really? Really, that's what I remind you of? And sometimes it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe that I remind you of that person, and it's a good thing, and sometimes it's flattering. I mean, people tell me all the time how I remind them of Brad Pitt, and I'm like, oh, it's so flattering. I have to hear that all the time. But, okay, they don't. Uh, Here's the thing, in in Acts chapter 11, we read that in in the city of Antioch, as the early church was growing, it says that that was where they were first called Christians. Now, here's what didn't happen. happen. They didn't get a a group of Christians together. The church didn't get together, get into a boardroom with a whiteboard on the the wall and go, we got to think of a name. we got to come up with a name. What would be a good name for us? Well, what about Christians? That's a good one. Christians, we need a logo. A cross. A cross. That's great. That's not how it happened, right? What happened was the outside world watching in, looking in on the church, and they were saying to the church, you guys remind us of someone. The way you guys live, the way you guys act, you remind us of of Jesus Christ. You you guys are like Christians, like, like little Christs. There was this experience of, of God that was so profound. It was bringing people from, from different cultures, from different um, social structures, from who, who didn't, weren't connected socially, economically, racially. They're, they're coming together as the church. And in that culture, it didn't happen that way. If you were Jewish, you worshiped the Jewish God. If you were a Greek, you worshiped Greek gods. If you were a Roman, you worshiped Roman gods. And yet all of a sudden now they're looking at these and going, wait a minute, something different is happening here. These people, they're all together, they're doing life together, they're worshiping together, they're, they're living in a way that's so counter to our culture today, and, and they couldn't figure them out, and they're looking from the outside in going, man, you guys live differently. The way you give, the way you serve, the way you welcome, the way you worship, the way you spend, everything you do is so different. You guys seem to be all about Jesus, and my prayer is that the, the same thing could be said about our church here. That people would look in at it, harvest, and say, man, man, there's something different about you guys. You guys don't just talk about being all about Jesus. The way you live, it reminds me of someone. You, you remind me of Jesus. So we're starting a new series this morning called that, You Remind Me of Jesus. And what we want to do is, is, is look into what are the different ways that, that, that Jesus has called us and we've been changed and transformed by him and we're now living differently, different than our culture, in a way that people would look in and say, you remind me of Jesus. And here's what I believe. I, I believe that this series could impact our lives in such a way that you, you would look back maybe, maybe a year from now or two years from now and say, man, I remember that series that, that, that we did that, that was so significant in my life and, and how I live differently now because of that. And listen, not, not because I have brilliant things to say. That's not why I believe that. But because we're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ. And and. We want to move from just being a people that believe certain things about Jesus 
to saying, I want to live differently because I know him, because I follow him, because I've been transformed by him. My, my character will be different now. My, my actions will be different now because of Jesus so that people could look in on your life and say, and you remind me of Jesus. So the first way I want us to dig in this morning, uh, what, what it's going to look like as we, as we move forward in, in looking at what are the different ways we're going to live like Jesus <clears throat> this morning I want us to answer a question that you may not have thought about before when you think about Jesus. We ask the question a lot, and we know the answer to the question of why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? We talk about a lot that, that Jesus came that we could have life and have life to the fullest. We, we say that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to, to live the perfect life that we could never live and then die a death in our place to pay the penalty for our sin and brokenness and rebellion. Then he rose again to give us new life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to introduce us to the love of God the Father. So we talk a lot about why Jesus came, but here's a question I want us to look at this morning. How did Jesus come? You can say, well, he came preaching, he, he came teaching, he came healing. And, and you, you'd be right, you could see that where Jesus, he did preach, he did heal, he did teach. And that, that's true, but there's another way that Jesus came that we read about in the Gospels. In fact, we see it here in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 27, it says, After this he went out, talking about Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now Levi, he's actually Matthew, the, the disciple that we, we find this out later. He's Matthew who wrote the, the gospel account of Jesus, named after Matthew. That, that's this guy, Levi. Levi sitting at his tax booth and Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, and here's how Jesus came, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why, why do you eat and drink? And, and, and you see this a lot throughout the Gospels. The, the religious leaders make this comment over and over again that, that, man, you eat and drink with sinners. You eat and drink with those broken, messed up people. You eat and drink with those people that aren't nice, church-growing people. Luke 7, 34, it says that Jesus Christ came, the Son of Man came, eating and drinking. So much so, so much so that the religious leaders around said, man, he's a drunk and a glutton. You're like thinking, are you saying like to live like Jesus, I just need to eat a lot and drink a lot? I got that covered, right? Here's the thing about Jesus having meals with people. Meals weren't just about grabbing a bite to eat. It, it was about community. It was about sharing your life with people. And so what made the religious leaders so upset with Jesus was that he was eating. He was sharing his life. He was valuing. He was, he was, he was accepting people who were outside of society. Summed up by the phrase, tax collectors and sinners. In the word sinners, it's the junk drawer term for just about anybody who was, who was outcast, who was on the outside. It, it would be prostitutes and addicts and homeless and, and drunks and broken up people who didn't care at all about God. And, and that's who Jesus was sharing life with. And it, it was tax collectors, and we've talked about this before, that tax collectors are the, are the most hated of all sinners they were traitors to their own people. They were people that the Roman government used, hired to collect these, these burdensome taxes of the people. And so you, as a Jew, would take money from your own 
countrymen to support the occupying government. And you got rich off it because you could charge whatever you wanted and you take all the excess that you bring in. (coughs) They got rich from this. And this is who Jesus breaks bread with. This is who Jesus opens his life up to, to these sinners. Now now listen, Jesus isn't legitimizing sin by doing that. He's not encouraging sin. He himself is not sinning, but he's loving sinners. He's, He's building these relationships with people who are so far away from him. Why? to draw them near to God, to change their life, to forgive their sins. And, and it's really what drives the whole philosophy of what we do here at Harvest. We want to live like Jesus, so we want to welcome the same way Jesus welcomes. We want to be hospitable the same way Jesus is hospitable. So what's, what's that look like? Our first point this morning is this. If I, if I want to be someone who welcomes like Jesus, where I look like Jesus and how I welcome, it has to start here in recognizing this, that Jesus welcomes me. Jesus welcomes me. Now, we're going to talk a lot about a very practical things throughout this series. But we have to start here. We're, we're going to talk about a lot of outward actions and ways to live out the Christian life so people see Jesus in you. But it has to start from a heart change. It has to begin in the gospel. It has to begin in that place where you've come to a point where you realize, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You say, Jesus, I need you. I, I need a new heart. Otherwise, without that, without that humble movement towards Christ in salvation, in that sense, it just becomes a bunch of outward acts. It just becomes something more religious to do. So let's see this lived out here in in verse 27. It says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So here you have this guy, Levi. He's, he's making his profit off, or off overcharging all his Jewish neighbors. He, he's a guy, how would you describe Levi? It would be like pretend somebody who works for the Canada Revenue Agency and is a part of Al-Qaeda. All right, that's kind of who this guy would be, right? He was a, a hated dude for sure. Not a lot of money. He's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of power, but he probably doesn't have a lot of friends. People don't approach him, but Jesus comes right up to him. Jesus initiates a relationship with Levi. And and here's Levi, not looking for Jesus at all. Not not living for Jesus at all. Yet Jesus approaches him and says, hey, follow me. You got to think about what this meant for Levi. Think about all that he would have to leave behind to, to actually follow Christ with his life. He would have to leave his position. He would have to leave his power. He would have to leave his possessions. I mean, he would, he would have been fairly wealthy because of his job, and he's, he's now having to leave all of that behind and follow Jesus. And, and I can imagine that as soon as he left his job, it would not take long for the Romans to put another person in his place, another person who wanted to make some money. He leaves all of it behind. Can you imagine what's going on in Levi's mind? If, if I follow this Jesus, if this, if this doesn't work out for me, what do I have left? Who's going to hire a retired tax collector? He leaves behind his safety, he leaves behind his security, he leaves behind his stuff, he leaves behind his life, humbles himself, and follows Jesus. Now listen, it's the same call you and I have on our lives. To repent, to turn, to to say, here's the way I'm going in my life, here's where I put my hope in, here's where I put my life in, and this is no longer what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn towards Christ and say, you're my hope. 
not my stuff, not my good works, not anything I have, but you're my hope. And, and no longer thinking about all the good things you need to do, but leaving that behind. No longer thinking, I'm too broken, I'm too messed up, there's no way Jesus could love me. In fact, look what it says in verse 31, when Jesus answers the religious leaders about why he would hang out with such busted up people. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying, listen, I, I, I've come not for people who think they've got it all together. I've not come for people who don't think they need me to, to, to be changed. I'm not people who, who think they're righteous because of all the ritualistic religious duties and worship. No, I've come for sinners who are broken. And then we repent and we turn and we go from being strangers. The Bible says we go from being enemies of God to being part of God's family. Really, if you, if you think about what it means to welcome people, what would be a good definition of hospitality? It would start there. It would, that would be a good place to get a definition where we turn strangers into friends and family. I mean, that's what hospitality is. I, I'm turning strangers into friends and family, and, and that's what God did for us through Jesus. So listen, when we talk about what it is to, to welcome others like Jesus, it has to begin here. It has to begin with that first step of following Jesus, where you yourself, have you gone from being a stranger to being a child of God? Have you had that point in your life where you said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't do this on my own. I'm putting my hope in you. My hope isn't in me any longer. My hope isn't in what I do. My hope isn't in my stuff. I'm pursuing you. And what happens when, when you receive that hospitality, when you receive that welcome, there's this overflow that comes from that. And you begin to welcome like Jesus. And you, you see it happen in Levi's life right away. I mean, instantly he follows Jesus. And look at verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a huge company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So listen, we understand, first of all, Jesus welcomes me. Here's our second point. I now welcome others. Jesus welcomes me, so I welcome others. Right away, here's this guy, Levi. He's been like a Christ follower for, for a few minutes, and he's, he's already a missionary and a small group leader. What's up with that, right? He's not holding back at all. I think so often we can be like, yeah, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just really busy, so I don't know if I can do this whole welcome thing. I, well, you know, I, I, we've got a lot of stuff going on with our kids, and so maybe, I, well, I, I don't open up well to people, so I don't know if I can get into a small group. I don't know if I can engage with people in that way. Well, I'm, I'm just a very private person. So, I, Listen, when your life is radically changed by Jesus, you want to share that with others. Levi goes from being a man who is marked by greed to being a man marked by generosity. I mean, he didn't just have some people over. He didn't just say, hey, Jesus, come on over for a cup of coffee. Verse 29, he made him a great feast. I mean, Levi's house was full of people. And look at the kind of people too, right? It's tax collectors and sinners. So, I mean, you can imagine what this party would look like, all right? Kind of picture like every guest that's been on Jerry Springer is now in that house, all right? 
Google it, kids. Jerry Springer, okay? You'll get it. Actually, don't Google Jerry Springer. Anyway, like that's, that's who's filling this house, right? Those are the kind of people that would be in this house. He's throwing this party. And what's happening to Levi's home? He, drinks are being spilt on the rug. Mud's being tracked in. Plates are being chipped. And, and listen, our homes are not supposed to be these perfect little temporary heavens while we wait for the real heaven. That's not what our houses are to be. Our houses are to be places of hospitality where we welcome in people. We invite them in to to enjoy Jesus together because we have a much greater home waiting for us in heaven. I mean, do you see the connection from Levi being welcomed by Jesus and immediately he welcomes others? That we recognize that God invited us into his community. God said, welcome to my party. And there was nothing special about us. We we were sinners and tax collectors. We're the same busted up, broken people that would be at that party. And God stepped into your life. You didn't pursue him. You weren't even seeking him. God pursued you and you went from death to life. In Old Testament terms, God describes it this way, that that we were like slaves in Egypt and God redeemed us from that. But then then we were aliens and wanderers in the wilderness. But, But God says, I clothed you. I took care of you. I fed you. I eventually led you to your home. So you're no longer strangers. And so here we have those who are saved by grace, Christians, Christ followers, those who are recipients of this life-changing hospitality of grace from the Lord, and now we turn around and we do to others the same. In fact, flip over to Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at another party, eating and drinking. Go to Luke 14, verse 12. Here Jesus, he's at another party. He's been invited by somebody, and now Jesus starts to press in on this guy about his party. Verse 12 of Luke 14 says this. He said to the man who had invited him, when you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, hey, don't just invite people that, that you get repayment from. Don't, don't we do that so much? Like, I'm going to throw a party. I invite people because I know hopefully they'll invite me as well. Or we, we, we get together with people hoping, man, this, this might help my job. This might help my status. This might help me move forward. This just is so good. Or just it just is great hanging out with these people because it's such a good time. And Jesus says, hey, don't only do that. Invite the poor. Invite the busted up because they can't repay you, but you'll receive your reward in heaven. What Jesus was telling this guy who threw a party that Jesus was at, he's saying, hey, hey, tell you what, when you throw parties, do everything completely opposite to what culture tells you to do. Don't do it for your benefit, do it for the benefit of others. Now, now why would we do it that way? Why would we show hospitality that way? Because we recognize that we've been invited to the party only because of Jesus. We should have been rejected, but we're invited in. We're accepted at God's table. Why? Because Jesus left everything of heaven. He turned his back on his interest and gave them up for you. And and the most foundational part of the gospel is this. Listen, to receive that, it's a debt we owe that we could never pay. 
God had to give us his grace entirely as a free gift because there's no way you could ever earn that gift of salvation. There's no way you could ever pay it back. It's a gift that cost Christ everything, and we just receive it. And, and Jesus did it gladly. Now, now if, if we understand that truly, if we really get that deep into our heart and soul, it should shatter this whole idea that we would ever invest our lives primarily for ourselves or, or for those who could pay us back. I mean, God poured himself out when we could never pay him back. How could we get that and yet still use our stuff to, to leverage for our lives, to throw parties in a way that benefit us? And I mean, how could we be in the presence of God in this party of grace that we know we had no business being in there except we were invited by his mercy because of a gift? How could we ever live a life of selfishness? It's inconceivable, isn't it? Jesus says this, listen, you, you were invited in, he goes, and you're, you're going to be repaid in heaven for that. You'll receive your reward in heaven. When you think about Jesus' life, what, what he gave up, he did not live a life of luxury while he was on this earth. He, he was born in a, into poverty, he lived poor, didn't even own a home, didn't have a cottage in Muskoka, what? Right? He was a servant. He poured out his life for us to the point that he gave his very own lifeblood so we could be saved. Now, now, why would Jesus do that? It says in Scripture, because he was looking towards eternity. I mean, I think if we, if we had a proper focus on eternity, if we, if we really realized how quick this life is in relation to eternity, it would change where our priorities are. It would change how we welcome people. In fact, I would expand that definition of hospitality, which, is, which I said was to, to make strangers friends and family. It, it needs to start here. It's a heart changed and moved by the gospel to turn strangers into friends and family. A heart changed and moved by the gospel to turn strangers into friends and family. And this is exactly what Levi does when Jesus calls him. It's that natural, normal Christian life response. When you follow Jesus, you're going to be in community. You, you follow Jesus, you're going to welcome other people into your life. I mean, you see it lived out by the early church right away. They, they formed the church. In fact, keep turning. Go, go to the book of Acts. If you keep going right, Luke, John, Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You see this lived out. Just as natural, this is what Christianity looks like. Verse 42 says... Talking about the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This way of living, we read that, it goes, man, that sounds so amazing. It was so countercultural in that day. It's countercultural today as well. I mean, the early church shocked the culture. They, they were so radically generous with their stuff, they were so radically open with their lives. 
I mean, they just shared everything. They shared their lives. They shared their hearts. They shared their stuff so much so that it says later on in Acts that, that there were no needy among them. Historians say the same thing. That Historians say that the Christians didn't just take care of their own poor, but everybody's poor. And living in that way, people looking in were saying, what is up with you guys? You guys remind me of someone. You guys are so different. You, you remind me of Jesus. I, I want to be a part of that. In fact, let me say it this way. What I read here is, is preaching is important, but, but preaching alone, my, my preaching alone, I, I'm not going to change Muskoka and Perry Sound because of preaching here on a Sunday morning, but I do believe this, that, that Muskoka and Perry Sound will be transformed by the way you live out Jesus. Be transformed by your hospitality. When you open up your lives, when you open up your homes, when you open up your refrigerator, when you open up your wallet, when you open up to serve, to host, to invite strangers to become friends. Listen, our church is filled with stories of life change that, that started where people were introduced to Jesus through hospitality. There's one man I know who, who was so blown away that he saw small groups, this small group pooling resources to buy a vehicle for a single mom who needed a vehicle. And this guy never set foot in a church in his life. And he goes, man, I, I don't, never been to church, but I go to that church. Showed up the next Sunday. Hardly missed a Sunday since. Story of a, a, a mom who said that when I showed up, this church so loved me and my daughter. And it was part of her journey to meeting Christ. Now serves faithfully. I mean, story after story after story of people opening up their homes, people opening up their lives for people. In fact, I would say this. If you're here this morning and, and you came to Christ and you, Jesus uh, called you later in life and you're an adult when you got saved, my guess is this. How many of you was hospitality a part of that? Where somebody opened up their life to you. Someone opened up their home to you. Someone took you out for coffee. Somebody just showed love to you. Muskoka and Perry Sound will not just be transformed by preaching. I'm telling you, it will be transformed by hospitality. I think the danger is we just fall into adapting to our culture, being lulled into this boring, go-with-the-flow, individualized way of doing life, just hide out in our homes, screen our calls, busy our lives, so much so that, sad to say, you could rewrite Acts 2, 42 to 47, it could be rewritten like this for the church today. It could be this. The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders being performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run. They kept to themselves. They were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other. And they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? But listen, listen, we have an opportunity to do something so much different. 
a community of people who, who, who do life together because we love each other and because we truly want to celebrate the presence of God because you understand that Jesus changed your life and invited you in and God is so good and you just do not want to do that alone and, and we need each other. And you start to recognize, man, I need other believers in my life. I need to join hands, join lives, join hearts, join voices, worship God together because of how good he is and, and, and to do life in, in this uncommon community where, where we do life together then reach out into hospitality. The, the word hospitality, literally the word translated in Scripture from the Greek word means to welcome the stranger, to love the stranger. One of the words used for hospitality in, in our Bible is a Greek word, uh, philozenia. Xenia comes from, from a word that means stranger. We get our word xenophobia from that. Someone who's xenophobic, right? they, 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 are, they have a fear of strangers or outsiders or other races. They don't want anybody else on the outside in. And philo, philo xenia, philo means love. The Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So you have these two together, this love for a stranger. Love people who are different than you are. And bring them into your home and your life as a guest and so again, here you are, loved and changed by God. You, you've gone from a stranger to a child of God, and now you live out that grace, that gospel to others. And in Acts 2, you see the amazing power that was unleashed as God was in the midst of that. I mean, so think about this. When you, when you read Acts 2, 42 to 47, you see, you see all the miraculous things happening. I want you to think about when you take somebody out for coffee, it's not just going out for coffee. When you listen to someone's problems, when, when you meet somebody new, when, when you invite somebody into your home, when you listen to somebody, when you just welcome them, it can seem so mundane, and yet God is working powerfully in that. So then what's that look like then? What does it look like for us practically? It means that we open our homes. It means we, we use the opportunities that God gives us with relationships to bring people in, to, to feed them, to laugh with them, to hang out with them, to, to talk with them, to, to hear their hearts, to share our own sin and struggles and hearts so that we don't get labeled as the religious person and, and to, to enjoy their company, to, to enjoy them, to have people meet other believers. I mean, think of it this way. Not all of us here are bold evangelists to be able to walk up to that tax collector and go, hey, follow Jesus. But you could invite people to your house and invite that bold evangelist to your house and let him do it there, right? You could do that, right? When you do this, when, when we open up our homes, when we love the stranger, you experience the joy of being this river of God's grace and hospitality where you receive from God and you give to others. If we don't do that, we become this stagnant pond where we receive everything we get from God, but it goes nowhere else. John Piper says it this way, the joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. See what he's saying? When you receive God's grace and hospitality to you, but you don't give it out to anybody else, it decays and it dies with you. So we should always be thinking thoughts like, man, how can I draw the most people into a, a deeper experience of God's hospitality, of God's grace? How, how, how can I use my money for that? How can I use my energy for that? How can I use my time and my things? How can I use my church for that? It, it should cause us to be asking these questions of, of who right now needs encouragement and reinforcement in the battle against loneliness. 
Who, who right now needs to be asked out? Who, who right now needs to be invited in? Who right now needs encouragement? Who, who right now could I connect with a, another brother or sister in the Lord that together we could accomplish so much more than we ever could do on our own? And when you start to commit to living your life like Jesus in this way, when you're, you're radical and consistent with hospitality, you're always going to be noticing somebody who's on the outside. You're going to find yourself noticing the stranger. You're going to find yourself self noticing new people more. Seeing people that are lonely. Seeing people that are broken. Seeing people that are confused. So listen, I, I, I want to get real practical though. Like what does this specifically look like? Before I do that, just, just to review, to summarize. Hospitality is this heart attitude that's lived out practically, right? So it's, it's a heart that's changed. It's moved by the gospel. We want to turn strangers into friends and family. So it's, it starts with this attitude of the heart. And because our hearts have been so changed, here's what it specifically will do. You'll actually literally start going after the people who the world excludes. People who are different. People who are unlovely. People who are unwealthy. People who are unconnected. Why? Because when you understand the gospel, your heart changed. You realize, man, that was me. I was the one who was lost and broken. I want to welcome everybody in to experience God's grace for eternity. I, I, I want to live like Jesus. I want to have his heart of hospitality. So it, it begins with a heart, but it's practically lived out. We're, we're going to find all the way through this series, these are, these are things that we can, man, I can put this into practice this week. This is something I can do. I can invite people into my life. I can listen to people. I can share life with people. I can make people feel accepted. I, I can look for ways to how to use my resources for the kingdom and for others. So let me, let me give you some real practical, seven practical ways, right? You, you can put one or all of these into practice, like this week. Seven practical ways to do hospitality. Now, before I do those, I think sometimes we get scared of hospitality because we think Martha Stewart, Right? Right? If, if, if Martha Stewart isn't there, Pinterest, all right, like we, we can just think, you know, and we, and we get stuck. We, well, I can't, I, can't, I can't host anybody in my house because we think we have to prepare like this incredible meal with appetizers no one's ever heard of and, and the placemats, they match the napkins. And who even has cloth napkins? Crazy. I got to get those and then plates that all match. And, and, and I got to make a food that's so good someone's going to take a selfie with it because they'll put it on Facebook for how great the meal was. And, Listen, you don't need to do that, all right? It could be grilled cheese and tomato soup. I heard some mmms, right? See, it's a good thing. Just do that. I mean, they're right there. That's what people want, okay? They don't want the fancy. They want grilled cheese and tomato. I do, okay? If you're inviting me over, that's what I want, all right? So it could, be grill, it could be peanut butter and jam sandwiches if you get the right peanut butter, okay? So don't think Martha Stewart and Pinterest, all right? Here's the seven ways you can practice hospitality this week. You can live like Jesus, welcome like Jesus. Number one, invite people over to your home. It's pretty simple. Maybe you grab somebody at church you don't know yet. You go, hey, why don't you come over to our house for lunch? Maybe it's grabbing a coworker or somebody at school and say, hey, do you want to come to our place for dinner? Hey, do you want to come to our place for Saturday afternoon? Invite people into your home. Here's a second way. Invite people out for coffee or, or, or for a meal. You say, hey, hey, before we hit work, do you want to grab a coffee together? Hey, hey, do you guys, guys want to go out for dinner with me and my wife? Hey, do you want to go out for lunch after church? Invite people out for coffee or a meal. Here's a third way. These are simple. Invite people not just to your home, but invite people to your spiritual home. 
Invite people to your spiritual home. Invite people to church. You say, hey, hey, want, you can combine these. Hey, why don't you come to church? Come to my church on Sunday, and then we'll go out for lunch after. And then you have to pay that, okay? You have to pay for lunch if that's what you're going to do, all right? You start thinking, man, this hospitality thing, it's, it's, it's costly. Listen, it's, it's not just the cost of paying for stuff. It's costly because you have to put yourself out there. It's costly because you have to make that ask and, and maybe be rejected. I'm telling you, you, you could ask a bunch of people, and a lot of people are going to be like, I'm not going to your house. That's just weird. Why? Because it's so countercultural, right? It's costly because you're outing yourself as a Christ follower. Why would you do that? Because I love Jesus, because Jesus invited me in, so I want to invite you in. Invite people to your home. Go out for coffee or a meal. Invite people to your spiritual home, to your church. Here's another way. Acts of practical love. Acts of practical love. Maybe it's a phone call or a text or, or helping somebody out that you know has a need. Maybe it's a young mom who just had a kid. And you're like, you know what? Why don't I come over and babysit for you? I'll take care of your kid. You go run some errands you need to run. That, that's hospitality. That's giving of your life for somebody else. Here's another one. Host a small group. Or join a small group if you're not in one. Open your life up to others so you connect in a deeper way so that you're gathering together. Maybe it's your home that gets opened up. Maybe that's the way you're going to do it. Or an agape group with the youth. Where you say, man, I want to open my home up so the youth can meet in my house. I want my house to be used for that. I want to open my life up by getting into a small group so I can do life together. So I can, I can be more effective because we can do more together. So my heart is exposed so I can be encouraged and challenged. Here's another way you could... Participate in our benevolence. What's benevolence? Benevolence is what we do to, to care for people that are in tough situations, whether it's a job loss or, or sickness or just the life that, the, that they have at this moment and we want to help out. So you could give financially to that. That's benevolence. That, that's, sorry, that, that's hospitality. Maybe you could give a skill instead. You could say, hey, if, if somebody needs something practical, like I, I do this, I, I, I roof houses or, or I'm an electrician or I'm a plumber, I, I can shovel a driveway or I can, I can clean the house, what do you need to use before? Or here's a great one coming up October 28th, okay, at Back of Beyond, the horse farm in Muskoka 10, Bill and Kathy's place. We're chopping, splitting, and delivering firewood because there's so many people in our church, in our community that this winter, like, I don't know how I'm going to stay warm this winter. So what are we going to do? Let's get a bunch of people together, a bunch of wood that one person can't. Bill might be able to do it by himself, but probably not, right? That you, you got to cut and split, is that right? There's ways you can, that's how I can be hospitable. I can, I can jump in on caring for people's needs. Here's the last way. You could join the welcome team. There's being hospitable. Join the welcome team at church. Be the one who welcomes people as they come in, that, that shows someone their seat, that's the smiling face, the warm handshake, the hug, the, the I'm so glad you're here. Now, now, now you might be going, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want to be committed. I don't, I don't like the T-shirts they wear. I don't do T-shirts in church. Then don't get a T-shirt. Listen, if you call Harvest Home, we're all on the welcome team, all right? Every one of us is. You don't need the official job title. You just need to be a person who recognizes, man, Christ welcomed me. Christ turned me from a stranger into a family member, and I don't want to worship with other strangers, so I want to welcome you in. I mean, how often do we sit in church? We don't even talk to the person beside us. We don't even do that. You know, the, at church, they normally do they want you to turn around and greet the person behind you. I don't know if I want to do that. Do, do we have Purell? Do we have that? Can I get, right? Every one of us can be, can, how do we be hospitable? That you're the person in church who, who seeks out somebody who says, man, I, I just want to connect with that person. I want to make sure nobody is here alone. 
Now listen, all those seven ways of, of doing this, very practical, but understand that we don't do those to win God's favor. Remember, it begins with following Jesus. It begins with a, a heart changed by Jesus, and then we live this out. We live like Jesus because we've been changed by Jesus. As the worship team comes up this morning and we end off, you know, in Hebrews chapter 13, it, it gives this charge for us to be hospitable, to, to welcome in the stranger. And it says to take the risk of doing that. And, and it says, well, you don't know what could happen. I mean, you might be entertaining angels as you do it. Like God's going to do something huge that you never thought he could do with something so mundane as just having somebody in for a meal. But then it says this in Hebrews 13. It says, we do the risk. We do this. Why? Because God tells us he'll never leave us or forsake us. In the original Greek, it doesn't say he'll never leave us or forsake us. It says he'll never, never leave us and never, never, never forsake us. That's, that's literally what it says. Five negatives. He'll never, never leave us. Never, never, never forsake us. Over the top grammatically. Why? Why? Because the author's pounding home the unconditional love and grace and welcome of God. So we can be sure of God's love. How can we be so sure? Because it goes on in Hebrews 13 to say that Jesus Christ stepped outside of the gate to make us holy by his blood. Talking about his crucifixion, what's it mean to step outside of the gate? Jesus became the outsider. Jesus became the alien. Jesus became the one who was cast out. He took our place. He took our homelessness he took our exile so we could be brought into the party of grace, so we could experience God's radical hospitality. We could go from being strangers and enemies to friends and family. And then it goes on in verse 13 of Hebrews 13. It says, so now what do we do? We now, as those who know Christ, we go outside of the gates. We pay the cost of hospitality. Because for whatever it's going to cost us, for us to, to stick our neck out and invite somebody to church, for us to spend our money on the poor, for us to spend our money and, and use our home and our time and our energy to welcome in the stranger, it's nothing compared to what Jesus paid to bring us home. Nothing compared to what we have waiting for us in eternity as we celebrate the greatest feast ever together in the presence of God. So let's, let's go outside the gate. Let's Look for the outsider. Let's look for the seeker. Let's look for the poor. Let's look for those people. Let's be hospitable. Let's be together as one, living and welcoming like Jesus. So people would say, you remind me of someone. I want what you have. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I... Uh, Thank you for the promise you give us that you'll never, never leave us. Never, never, never forsake us. And you, you promise that when we open up our homes and our lives and our resources to the strangers that you'll do a work, a work that we never could imagine. And we do all this because of your grace and welcome to us. Father, I pray that you would lead us as families, as, as individuals to strengthen to reach beyond our circle, to, to become a church that is, that is welcoming to, to strangers, to make them friends. 
Thank you for all the resources you poured out on us. And Lord Jesus, we don't want to hoard them for ourselves because you didn't hoard anything. You gave it all. And so we want to give our all. Thank you for the power to do this. Thank you for the motivation to do this. I pray now that you would make us a church that's filled with that, with the same spirit that says, I have a feast for you. I have bread for you. I have drink for you. I have rest for your soul. Thank you for that grace. And thank you that we can step out now and risk as we follow you. As we follow you, Lord Jesus, to the ends of the earth. As we follow you to reach out. Because you've given us everything. And we know you'll never leave us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.